I'm Preeti Chibber. And I'm Jen Northington. And this is Tar Valen or Bust, a Wheel of Time podcast. The pattern weaves finely around Taveran, and others can follow the shape of those threads if they know where to look. That is from page 116 of The Dragon Reborn. It's Moiraine talking to Perrin, and we learned so much about Taveran in this section here. So we are rereading the books in advance of the TV show adaptations release, talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite moments, and digging into all things Wheel of Time. And before we get into all of those things, uh, I just wanted to shout out our second Ah. ever (laughs) review from Graylin, who posted it on Apple Podcasts and called us an in-depth blast of fun. Right? Five stars. Thank you, Graylin, uh, who says, I'm going through my first read of The Wheel of Time, and I'm so glad I found this podcast. The hosts share really thoughtful and humorous humorous commentary on the story and make me want to read even faster it's like we reading with friends graylin thank you thank you that's very you made, nice you made our days that's so lovely <laughs> hope you're ready for a lot of humorous commentary about know, these eight episodes or episodes ch- uh, chapters <laughs> it's nice to hear that somebody else thinks we're funny aside from ourselves i know <laughs> Thank you for thinking we're funny. We appreciate it. Uh, So yes, thank you so much for that review. It's really, really nice. (sighs) All right. So this is our first foray. I mean, not first, but first for the podcast uh, into The Dragon Reborn. Book three of The Wheel of Time. I almost said book four. I don't know what's going on. No, no. Book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, at, at the rate we're going, I feel like we could be on book four and I wouldn't even realize it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting, well, eight chapters pro- plus a prologue. Yes. Uh, in various ways. He's like breaking his own rules right and left, it feels like. It's like, uh, I just, so for once, I didn't start this read like two hours ago. I started it a few <laughs> days ago. Because the the end of book two, like we said last time, was so good that we wanted to start, like, immediately. And I see that my first note is no in all caps with a (laughs) frowny face because we're with Pedron Nile and the White Cloaks. Yeah, this prologue, I will say, though, a ton of shit goes down in this prologue. So much! It's a lot for a prologue. But yeah, so he is the... Mm, commander is that what it's called he's the head honcho of the white clothes he's the head honcho the he's the, he's the big boss the Miss- lord <laughs> captain commander mr he's man got, he's mr man that's right he's got like a throne and a like engraved floor or whatever and, and he like mad. doesn't even notice how fancy yeah. it is he doesn't even care that it's solid gold because that's how hardcore he is <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i hate him so much yeah like, everyone is – it's so funny because I do think Jordan is this wonderfully descriptive writer and he's, like, so good at so many things. But there gets to a point where you're, like, the descriptions, man. The descriptions. Like, why is everyone so bone thin? And, like, it's – like, literally everyone is, like, their skin is thin like parchment. <laughs> Does like, nobody eat enough? Like, come on. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah, it's uh it's something. So 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 child buyer, our other favorite. Ugh. 
is reporting as uh, he was commanded to. Yeah, as what's when... his face? Get, yeah, Joffrey Bornhold told him to do. <laughs> Born whatever. And so he's telling him, he's telling Niall basically about what went down or what. Here's here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Is yeah. I spend the entire time being like, just do some goddamn research. Just do some research. <laughs> like this notion of like the Aes Sedai did it. Like, no, they didn't. Right. No, incorrect. That is a wrong thing to say. And like, it's so frustrating because you're reading it and you're like, I know that there are so many levels on which I'm supposed to hate you. And I know that you suck and every, like whatever. But the thing is like, why make it so easy for me to hate you? Mm. And not just because you like make bad choices, but because you can't do the bare minimum of making <laughs> sure that your stupid assumptions are based in any sort of like reality that we saw happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I wonder if the effect is supposed to be that like as the reader, you know more than the characters. For sure. And and that therefore we're I like maybe we're supposed to be like learning something about doing your homework. I don't know. I I will say that I'm, we're going to say names differently again. Pedro Niel, I can't think of it the other way. Uh, he does know that Byer is full of shit. Like, he's like, what? Like he's obsessed with this one random dark friend. In the meantime, there's all I... this other stuff going on. Like, it's very, <laughs> his, like, skepticism about Byer's intelligence was very lol yes like i was like this is the stupidest shit i've ever heard in my life and pedro nile was like i agree agree this guy's a dumbass yeah so there's that and then and then wait can we talk about this thing that happens where he summons the uh anointed of the light yeah keridan who is then a hundred percent confirmed to be a dark friend. Yes, but before before we get there. Oh, okay. I do want to talk a little bit about Pedro Nile. Because, like, I, you know, we talk a lot of shit about the White Cloaks because they suck, obviously. But I kind <laughs> of appreciate this aspect of it, which is that Pedro Nile is all in it to make his own name. Mm. And not about, it's not about the light. It's not, you know, he says, like, all his, he was so angry about what went down, but he says all his plans were destroyed, the plans that would have secured his name among the children of the light for a hundred generations. And it's this focus on like his own plans and his own things because he has a, a role in mind for himself and not necessarily the mission of the um, organization he's the head of, which right. I thought was an interesting – to me, that is like good villain writing. Yeah, yeah. In, in it's terms, nuance. Right? Yeah. It's nuance. It's allowing for this like horrible organization to exist. But I don't think he's a villain that's not worth my time. Mm. Whereas this idea of like this idios idiocy about the Aes Sedai, where I'm like, that's not worth my time because it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> when you're just like, it's so blatantly clear to every single other character who was a part of that. Yeah. And not just people who were like on the side of the Sanchan, but literally everyone else involved could understand what was going on, except for the white cloaks. And it wasn't like we're going to deliberately frame it this way. It's like Bornhold and Bayer had a conversation there too where they were like, it's the Aes Sedai doing it. I'm like, you guys are so stupid. Right. And that's annoying. Yeah. They they like very deliberately dismiss anything that any of the villagers tell them when they're in Tome yeah. or Toman Head generally. And like they're just – yeah, well, they're extremely – 
what is the word I want? Like biased. they. Yeah, well, by sure, confirmation bias is a yeah. real issue for the white for folks. Sure. Uh, but I think also, you know, it's I guess it's supposed to be a result of their zealotry is that like it just a hundred percent closes them off. I just to wish there any was... other viewpoint, but I it's know. so drastic. Like it yeah. feels it feels almost like a caricature of yes, a zealot, exactly, and not like a real because people behaving. I feel like way. a zealot in this situation wouldn't have been like the I said I did it. They would have been like they are. Pretending to be captured like they would have made they would have mm. looked at the circumstance and whatever the facts were convinced themselves of what was going on and that's sure. not what it feels like happened here here it feels yeah. like they just didn't recognize the facts at all and just right. were saying whatever they wanted to say like if I had yeah. gotten a few lines of like well you know they have leashes for these women and like why would you know all right. they have to do is like clearly this is just another Aes Sedai trick that's all right. we needed. Just yeah. recognition of what we've, what every other perspective was giving us. Right. So I think you could say it's lazy on the part of Jordan yes. to, to do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is right. what, yes, correct. <laughs> That's what you're getting at. <laughs> I do believe. Um, okay. So we can talk about Keridan now who comes into Nile. Right. And they have this. Well, he's big, summoned. He doesn't even come in. He's sorry, like, he's, he's, he's summoned. summoned. Power dynamics. Um, and so he's talking to him. All my margin notes in this chapter are like, they're just so stupid because that's, they're so smart. <laughs> like all of my notes. Um, so they have this whole conversation and Niall basically is like pushing at him because Keridan is an inquisitor. Yeah. Um, he's one of the questioners who we were told in the last book are this like horrifying aspect of the children that even the children of the light are afraid of. Right. Yeah, and Neil is like doing a very he's like walking a very dangerous line mm -hmm. because he's sort of manipulating Keridan and like giving him this order that uh he's not allowed to kill the false the false yes. quote unquote dragon. Like he is which is, you know, like legit blasphemous. Yes. Like straight up blasphemous. Yep. And and so we have that, which is, you know, a well, whole big power play. It's a whole big power play. And Niall takes it so far um, because basically what Niall wants is to get leadership of like the Almuth Plain and Terabon and all and Amad what is it? Amadicia. Amadicia. Yeah. And he wants to rule it. Yeah. In, in quote, in the name of the oh, Children yeah. of the Light. Sure. But sure. Clearly, <laughs> dude has his own stuff going on. Um, but I thought it, he was walking a fine line and he recognizes he's walking a fine line, but he recognizes also the reality of what they are, right? When he says a few days under the question and you would convince to, you would confess to anything, name yourself a dark friend even, you would go under the headman's accident inside a week, which again to me says the head of the white cloaks like doesn't believe in their mission in yeah. reality. It's all about power. It's yeah. all about upholding a specific structure, which where have we seen that before? I wonder. It's a way, but you're right. It's a way more interesting villain than any of the other white cloaks that we've been exposed to so far. And mm -hmm. then, well, okay. So, right. I I was getting ahead of myself earlier. So then this, this rando Ordeus with a giant nose shows up and let's see. His name rhymes with oh, Mordith. See. He's got a big nose. Who could it be? Really? I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. I was like, oh, is it worm tongue? <laughs> <laughs> I 
means wormwood. He's a creep with like a slithery tongue, like coming in, like. <laughs> but we like we're supposed to know it's Pat and Fane, right? I actually didn't think that through. Really? Nope, because I was too busy being like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, like, it's got to be. He's like, but you're not wrong. A little man with a big nose, like that's how he's constantly described. Yeah, and he's like true. being a weirdo, and he like is very uh, manipulative. And God, you know, I hate that thing so much. <laughs> I don't want him back. And he knows all this shit about the two rivers. Like it has yeah, to no, be. Yeah, no, it's true. Thing. It's true. You're right. <laughs> yeah because he's like <laughs> he comes from the two rivers in the back country of andor and he has a dark friend so deep in the shadow it would make your soul cringe to know the half sounds right. like somebody is projecting <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like very that it's, guy gets around man he, he gets around yeah it's a little like frustrating but like i get it but then of course this whole nile section kind of moves and goes from like I have all these plans for like how to make the white cloaks great how to make myself great and then it ends with him clearly like manipulated by who is probably Pat and Fane being like perhaps I will make plans for the two rivers and you're like oh no you can never go home <laughs> no seriously <laughs> no one can ever go home <laughs> never ever ever um, and then we follow Carradine and this is when the half man comes out and we find out that he is probably the white Boars. <laughs> yeah like this is probably him which is so funny based on how he how if this is the man called Boars, how he is presented in the prologue of the great hunt versus how he is presented here Ooh, ooh. Ooh, let's hear it. No, no, I just didn't even think about the fact that he was in both prologues and then really not again. Yeah, no, not again. That's fascinating. I did not put that together. But yes, in right, in the previous prologue, he's very arrogant. He's very sort of self-assured. He's like judging all the mm -hmm. other dark friends and their ill ill job at concealing their identities. And he's like huffy about people getting orders and like not respecting him enough. And now here we see him a getting bossed around yep. by Pedro Niel and then getting threatened by a murderall <laughs> and given orders that count contradict one another. And yeah, like the the Balzaman, the half man by way of Balzaman, clearly is saying you need to kill Randall Thor. Yeah. After Pedro Nile was like, you cannot kill him. Right. And so the prologue ends with Carradine kind of being like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do? What to do? Oh, uh, and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, breathe. We disagree so strongly oh about this. God. So then let me frame this for you all. Then we get the first of what is literally eight chapters of Perrin, which is my delight and Preeti's absolute despair. It's so <laughs> much Perrin. And I was looking. So because Wheel of Time fans are like the best fans on the planet, there is, of course, on the Wheel of Time wiki, like a um, breakdown of by POV each oh. book. And so, of course, I have the world is like majority rant. Right. The Great Hunt actually bounces around like intensely, yeah. which we noticed, but right. also made the story feel outside of like a few Aaron <laughs> POVs, made the story feel like it was moving really fast and the book moved really fast. And now we're back to like just chapter on chapter on chapter of like the same POV, but 
from my perspective, doesn't work as well as the eye of the world. Well, to me, this seemed like a very deliberate choice to slow the story down. I mean, not only are we in the same character's head, but almost nothing happens. It's eight chapters of like, (laughs) that could be three and a half. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to me. And I don't care because I am like a dyed in the wolf parent fangirl and I am delighted to spend time with him. Although I will say that particularly, wait, now I have to check my notes. How many chapters was it before they like leave the freaking valley? It's like four, five? No, it's Possibly like six. five. Yeah, it's it's so. Like, I don't think they leave until like chapter seven. It's really wild. So, okay, so what's actually happening here? Not much. So you find out that after all of the events of, you know, Falme and the big battle and whatnot, they are literally sitting in a valley in the mountains of mist. Rand is there, Perrin is there, Min is there, Lan and all of the Shinarans are just like camped out hiding. And Moiraine has these sort of women coming through to feed her information from the outside. But otherwise, they are literally doing nothing. They're just sitting there. They're just sitting there. And like, I'm all about like immersive reading and making sure the reader feels like they're in the story. But like, I get parents bored. I yeah. am also bored. <laughs> yeah. I, I, let me distinguish between I did not mind being in parents' POV the whole time. I don't think it's entirely the POV's fault that nothing is happening. I think that's a separate uh, no, I, plot yes. issue. Okay. I agree <clears throat> with you. But there was a choice to make this POV yes. be the one in which nothing yes. happens. Right? And I don't <clears throat> think it was a good choice. Yeah. Because no. it ends up being repetitive and annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well... I I do wonder, so in this first, ch- in chapter one, where it's all about, like, you know, Perrin's talking to Min about what she sees, and there's this tinker woman, and, you know, Min predicts she's going to die, and Perrin has feelings about that. Like, that's, like, basically all that happens in that chapter. Yeah, I, I is, really feel is, like this, this episode's going to be pretty short. <laughs> yeah. So, but what's interesting about this is Perrin, we find out pretty much right away, is trying not to talk to the wolves. Like, he's blocked out the wolves. Yeah, and then we get seven chapters of him being angry about having the wolves having any access whatsoever yeah and i this is a thing i question i had is like when did that start like because i feel like especially towards the end of the great hunt he was in communication with the wolves and like using his yes skills to you know track the Trollocs or whatever and you know do the thing like he was I I don't want to say embracing it but he seemed to be coming to terms with his his special power or whatever you want to call it I don't know if he was coming to terms with it but he certainly was recognizing the benefits of it yeah while being mortified that anyone should find out well yeah fair enough but now he's just like he doesn't I mean he actually of course has to eventually as is always the way with these things but he is trying to deny it and like I'm like when did that happen like what happened here so I read this chapter a few days ago and I finished up the chapters today and I realized I made the exact same note on page 33 that I made like later (laughs) which is that the wolves have saved you they are trying to save you yes they are being good family and you're being a huge dick like yes that is correct. That is correct. He is being a jerk about it. But the thing is, is it's like the same. Here's my biggest problem with it. It's like when you put the POV in parents' perspective, 
it gets repetitive because he yeah. spends the entire time with the same like four thoughts. Yeah. And no. it's just reiterated <laughs> over and over because there's not enough action happening. Right. Like even Yes. Like I wonder if this would be the case for either Parent or Ran because I I did I did question this later which we can get to. Okay, I guess we should just get into it because like literally <laughs> in this chapter it's just Parent kind of like they're they're sitting in these mountains and they're waiting for things to happen. I do have one note that I did want to bring up which is on page 34 they're talking about like uh the different names for the dark one. Oh yeah because the wolves i think call well people call them heart's bane so there's heart's bane soul's bane heart fang lord of the grade <laughs> lord of the twilight father of lies the dark one and i was like damn you don't have to make him sound so cool <laughs> <laughs> like i'd much rather hang out with that dude Right. <laughs> Heart's bane, soul's bane, heart fang. Yes. Yeah. What's that's up, man? Yeah. That's true. Did I meet you at the Thursday show? <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's hanging with like uh Masima and a bunch of the Shanarans, and Masima has gone like full Yeah, full zealot. Full zealot under Rand. It's unnerving. It is. Very, very unnerving. I did appreciate this, like, description of the Shinarans, uh, which is they seem to accept everything and anything. The world was changing, they said. Everything spun on the wheels of chance and change. If a man had eyes of color no man's no man's eye had ever been, what did it matter now? And I was like, that's a nice way of looking at the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, wait, what, what was the thing you wanted to talk about here? Oh, so so we're... We're back to having, like, parents' perspective on the travelers. Right. Which we talked about in Eye of the World and how it's kind of frustrating that the way Jordan kind of speaks down to this notion of nonviolence and, like, we just see more. Here's the biggest problem I have with these chapters. It's just more of what we have read before. Yeah. Like, nothing new happens in the eight chapters. Is that true? I don't think so. They have a fight with Trollocs, which we've seen before. Uh, well, okay. That's that so that's I think that is untrue. I guess the one thing well, is the the like <clears throat> becoming the wolf kind of, which we have kind of seen before. No, we've seen that before. Other th- uh, other things, but I'll bring them up when we get to them. So so let's go in order. Okay. Uh so but I do think there's some interesting things that happen related to the quote I picked at the top. Okay, okay. To, to, okay. To, push my glasses okay, up I'm my being nose. I'm being overwhelmingly <laughs> negative which I don't I don't need to be no but I don't disagree with you a hundred percent like I I am happy to spend time in parents perspective but I think I think Jordan lost the thread of his plot here right and I'm not a hundred percent sure why like I'm unclear as to what happened that caused like, this losing of the thread I because I don't know if it's it's one of those things where it's like this is the third book yeah there's a thing that happens in series publishing, when a series is doing well, where we call it too big to edit, where an uh, author yeah. has gotten too big to truly edit because – and I'm not saying this happened. Like, I don't I don't know. Um, but, you know, the books are wildly successful. They may not need the level of editing they once did. Maybe nobody thinks they need the level of editing they once did. 
that's kind of how this reads to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where you're like, this really could have accomplished what it accomplished in half the time. Yeah. No, it's it's 100% true. I think that is true. I think that's true. So, okay. So chapter one is, you know, Perrin being grumpy about wolves and talking to the Shinarans and being afraid about, you know, this traveler woman. And then chapter two is we find out that uh, Rand and Moiraine are sort of and like just fighting all the time just fighting all the time but also neither of them will do anything like they're just they just get nowhere they're just circling each other and rand is like being very sort of uh emo is the word i like, want super I emo which like i get it i get where like people get frustrated with him yeah he's like going off on his own he has his own hut it's like everybody's too like freaked out by him being around to hang out with him so he just is getting worse and worse and like more and more eccentric he's like reciting random prophecies and like you know laughing randomly and setting shit on fire it's all very strange and Perrin is kind of like being the reluctant friend yeah so we're getting a lot of like but i'm still his friend but can i be but i'm still his friend but can i be yeah and so there's there's a lot of that happening um min is there and so we've got some like parent min interaction which is fun fun ish though okay here's here's a strangeness too that happened these episodes, these, I keep on the episodes. These chapters are so bleak. Like they're so. Perrin is just super down. Like, yeah, which like true. I, that's fine. There's a character like yes, this is what would happen. But the lightness doesn't work. Like the mm. lightness that Jordan brings in, the whimsy that he brings in, feels very awkward. And it's often with men, and yeah. often about this notion of like I don't know how to talk to girls. You yeah, know? yeah, and I am yeah. too. I don't understand what's happening. And it just falls really flat in a way because Min, we've not seen enough Min and Rand interaction to warrant the way Min is reaction. It's a lot of telling us, yeah, but not like inherently showing us. I mean, we talked about that at the end of the yeah. last book too. There's this whole Min Rand thing where you're just like, you have not earned this. Like, right. you've not earned and this. And he continues to not earn it by continuing to side, like just... It feels very much like he's like, I'm just going to use this for lightness. Yeah. But like, you can't just do that. Like, it has to no. feel real and earned, and it, it doesn't. Yeah. Someone who does, though, is loyal. Yes. He's great always and forever. So, yeah. So then, right. So Rand, like, dumps half the mountain down trying to figure out what to do with the source that he pulled on and he drew too much or whatever. <laughs> Hold on. I did one of my, <laughs> I had a thought about loyal while we were, oh, while me. I was reading is so <laughs> loyal and Perrin are talking and, and Min is kind of like complaining about like, Oh, how could I get here? And up, like up here my life, whatever. And loyal says Taverin. And Perrin waved at him to stop, but the ogier could seldom be slowed, much less stopped when one of his enthusiasms had him in its grips. <laughs> he was accounted extremely hasty, or hasty by the ogier way of looking at things. And I was like, oh my God, loyal on Tumblr would be <laughs> the best thing on the planet. His hyper fixations <laughs> yeah. and his obsessive fandom, because that's what loyal is in this book. Loyal is just a really big fan who probably writes fanfic about Tamara. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. 
Well, that's so actually, yeah, looking at that page two, page 47 and Min is like, I just wish they had didn't have to be so, so bloody Taverin all the time, like mm-hmm. Taverin tugging on one side and I said I'm muddling on the other. This is, I think, what we really see in these eight chapters. In this essay, I will show how the <laughs> concept of Taverin is explicated over the course of these eight chapters. Like we do get. Some yes. really interesting moments. Moments, yes. Small and uh, again, could have been done in three or four, like, like half the amount of time. Or like, imagine getting a Rand POV where we see all those weddings happen. Oh yeah, that would have right? been. Well, okay, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I know. We're sorry, 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 sorry. So, but anyway, yes. There's some interest. I think there's some interesting Taverin stuff that happens. Okay, so anyway, so chapter. We're on to chapter three. Well, wait, 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 because oh, no. there is a no? moment when. Rand, because the other stuff that's happening is we're we're kind of seeing Rand devolving a little bit into yeah. something. Though Moiraine does say it's not quite as bad as it might be, but he says when in, when Perrin goes to talk to him before Rand like unleashes all that like power, right? Um, he's kind of like talking about the prophecy and doing all this stuff, and then Perrin is thinking about what Rand represents. And he says, a man, a thing in M dashes as an aside, everyone was taught to loathe and fear from childhood, which I think is very like on the on the nose, I guess, about what Rand is becoming. And I think is represented by not giving him a POV mm. in this oh, that's book thus far, right? Is that he has become less of a character in these moments and more of a little bit of an exaggeration of what we Knew him He's to be. a symbol. He's a yeah. symbol. And right. he is slowly becoming the thing that for two books we have been told he is afraid of becoming. And so for a parent to refer to what he represents as a thing, I think is really important. But again, I think it's lost in how muddled these chapters are. Yeah. That, that point, because that point matters a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so so then chapter three, Perrin's ignoring. The wolves are trying to get his attention. He's ignoring them. What a dumbass. Uh, they talk about how Rand, like, dumped the mountain, and Min is, like, explaining things about how her power works. And there's too. this whole, like, Perrin doesn't understand what's happening, which did make me laugh really hard because <laughs> Min's like, you are a very nice man, Perrin Ibarra, even if you don't understand anything. And I was like, I need that on a T-shirt. Yeah. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, let's see. So then they've got some news from the outside world, but like it's not, again, wait, nothing wait, wait, wait. is happening. I had a question for you. Oh, sure. So on page 58, okay. Perrin talks about the ring on Moraine's hand. I don't know if you know, but Moraine wears a ring. And it's the Great Serpent. And he says the Great Serpent, an even older symbol for eternity than the Wheel of Time, which I thought was interesting. Because have we been told that before? That the great serpent eating its own tail is older than the the notion of the wheel of time itself. Oh. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. That seems like just a wild thing to throw out there. (laughs) Like... Everything is about the wheel of time. Everything is about the pattern. But actually, this thing has... This thing predates it. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good spot. I did not spot that. That I. I was just like, what? 
what since when and then like doesn't say anything about it else it's just like and we're moving along here's a tidbit that may or may not be something it's like there's so many moments of like interest and then it's like but now i'm gonna spend like more about how irritated Perrin is that he has to be here and like talk to wolves. Also, how would Perrin know that of all people? Right? <laughs> That's not a thing that Perrin well, knows. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit because I got this is related. Uh, I got uh edits back on a manuscript recently that was written in a close third perspective. And there were multiple there are three characters. And my note back from my editor was like, oh, the narrator needs to be more neutral. And I was like, Robert Jordan is ruining my writing because (laughs) the close third that Jordan uses is not neutral. No. Like, it's not neutral. The narrator knows things that only the character knows. Yeah. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, I was reading this book and I was like... The narrator shouldn't know this right? <laughs> about true. Perrin's thoughts or feelings unless Perrin actively thinks or feels it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, there you go. It's like a, the, narrat- the narrative is like a mix of, like, close third and neutral because, no, I don't think Perrin would know that right. about the Great Serpent Tale, but a neutral narrator would. Right, right. Whoops. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Anyway, so they get some information about how the white cloaks are like oh, being right. weird. Like they're like it's unclear what they're doing, but like they're, but they're being, being weird. shady and like kind of letting because there's a bunch of dragon sworn. Yes, like people who have come to the base of the mountain for Rand and his banner or whatever. And in any other circumstance, you would think that the white cloaks would just handle it because Rand is a false dragon, and that goes against everything the white cloaks stand for. But what they're doing is conveniently letting these people get away. Right. And not actually dealing with anybody. Yeah. And it's it's very strange. Yeah. So they go back and forth a bunch and like nobody decides anything as is the, you know, feeling of these chapters. We do get introduced to this idea of the soulless, which I'm pretty sure is the first time yeah. that they've come onto the page, yes. which are these like apparently they're assassins that you wouldn't even notice and they can, you know, slip in and out of places and that's a really terrifying concept of course inevitably mm-hmm. and they can like I- be anywhere do anything and it's how like people can get murdered by dark friends and not even know right because there are people there are deaths happening of people who fit rand's description right right so a lot of weirdness happening nobody decides anything Perrin decides to go to, go to bed. <laughs> so, of course, we're going to get a dream sequence. An entire is- chapter of a dream sequence. A hell of a dream sequence, though. It's a big I mean, one. Th- <sighs> yes. Yes, it is a big one. There's a lot happening. So he's like, there's this dude who's like very well dressed, but it's like kind of a weirdo. And he's trying to get Perrin to do something like drink a cup, give up his axe. Yeah, exactly. Like he's like, you should just be a blacksmith. Like, you don't you don't need to have this this axe. Like you you should just uh, give it up. Yeah. let, Let it go. And Perrin's like, no, there's something wrong with this. No, I don't. I don't think I can. Not yet. Like, I can't do it. And he's like speaking, he's saying things out loud that he doesn't kind of, it's very similar to, which I think is clever, how Rand, when Rand was making choices kind of disconnected from himself. Yeah. Like the writing is very similar, which was Mm -hmm. interesting. 
as we'll learn like why later. Um, but this happens and then like another person shows up. Wait, but... wait. I, d- I just wanted to, I like oh, yeah. this line. Uh, there's this line that the weirdo man says, three threads woven together share one another's doom when one is cut, all are. Uh, and I was like, ooh, ooh. I know. It's a, little, it's a nice little tidbit about how they are so connected and so bound together. Yeah. Whether like, or not they want to be. So necessary to each other, right? Yeah. Yep. And then, I mean, it's she's not named, but we know it's Celine slash Lanfear, yes. right? She's the most beautiful woman. <laughs> she's, like, talking about glory and destiny. I did, like, laugh a little bit when Perrin was like, I don't want this. Because I was yeah. like, man, Lanfear must be like, what the fuck? Like, why doesn't anybody want glory? <laughs> What's wrong with all of these uh, guys? Why don't they want like, the glory? boys. <laughs> What man with blood in his veins would not want glory? Right. She's just like, what is wrong with you? But people? Perrin just kind of keeps denying it, kind of being like, I don't think I want this. It's not mine. I'm a blacksmith. I don't want this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he's on a bridge and he sees a bunch of people talking to each other and they seem really weird and also very powerful and they like use the power on each other. And I'm just like forsaken. Like it's yeah, for gotta sure. be. Like 100% forsaken. 100%. And, and then like, like <laughs> it's so interesting to me that Perrin is clearly inhabiting a space where he's not supposed to be. Yes. Right? Like he is like, he's not just having a dream that somebody else is controlling in the way that like he's had all these dreams about Baalzaman, for example, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he's like trying to protect himself by, by having this like wolf presence or whatever. And, you know, he's been in situations that he's tried to get away from, but he's not been able to explore that space right. or like see things or eavesdrop on other people who are in a dream space like that's a new development I think for it's, our dream traveling if, if that's what's happening true true because what I glean from this based on the information we'll find out later is that this is not it's not that he was actively able to come to this space it was foisted upon him yes yes Yes, which is this gets this does get really interesting later. Agree. So there is this he's like he finally like a wolf shows up to maybe like get his shit together basically and being like, mm, what's up, bro? <laughs> and Baron's like, I would like to wake up, please. Right. And so like the the wolves are like the twisted ones are coming. You know, oh well, I guess we should oh, no, know wait, that calendar. Yeah, yeah. So. so he goes to this giant hall where there's a big shining crystal sword, and he somehow knows that it's Kalendor, whatever the hell that is. And but then not, not Excalibur, not Excalibur. And then, then the wolves are like the twisted ones are coming, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. he wakes up, and and the thing that he has spent literally four chapters ignoring is that like Trollocs and Murderall are descending yes. upon the camp and the wolves were trying to warn him and he right? ignored them because the he's an idiot. The wolves literally end with the Twisted Ones come brother. They keep calling him brother because they see him as part of the pack and Perrin is like even though you're trying to help me like I'm not gonna do it. Yeah it's really Ugh. dumb. So like so, but- he wakes up and chapter five is the battle. Ugh. No, I thought this no, was a pretty good battle sequence. It's pretty good. I think I was just so frustrated. <laughs> You're so annoyed. I'm so irritated. Like, I actually have, like, some good notes here where I'm just like, 
the that paragraph about Moiraine just like shooting fire out yes. with her switch and like fireballs. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. But and and I did quite like the section where Perrin turns into Young Bull and yeah. that like yeah. shifting between the two of them. Yeah. So he is so like caught up in the battle that he I I think my impression is he just can't sort of keep blocking them out and also it's pointless like why why is he expending energy doing this like why not learn right I mean like literally when the Mirdral attacks him and it literally goes from parent to young bull like I love that chapter where he's like fade parent said roughly but then a different name came to him from the wolves Trollocs the twisted ones made during the war of the shadow from melding men and animals were bad enough but the Mirdral Never born young bull spat, lip curling back in a snarl. He threw himself at the mid- mirror draw. And I literally was like, yeah. this is the best thing to happen in four chapters. Yes! <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> is. And the way he kills it is how like a wolf would do it. It's mm-hmm. really cool. But then, so he, uh, he like has to fight this urge to just go off after dispatching this murder all to. Well, yeah. To join the wolves in hunting down the rest of the Trollocs. Well, yeah, he wants to keep fighting, right? And there's this, like, great moment where, like, Loyal is fighting. He's, like, kind of seeing that everybody is fighting because this, like, Leia woman died. Yeah. After Min foresaw that she would die. We didn't mention that because it's a conversation we've seen before. Yep. So, like, I don't think we needed to. Um, But there's a great line where he's talking about how the wolves are fighting and it says, there was no honor in the way they fought, no glory, no mercy. They had not come for battle, but to kill. Yeah. And, like, that's the point that Perrin was trying to make to Leia about why violence, why there has to be violence. Because mm. it's the only way in situations like this. Right. And I think Now, it's not just- for nothing... I do think it's her, like, she she gets to say at one point, and we talked about this before, she gets to say, you know, violence rebounds upon totally. you. And, like, there is a legit argument and valid worldview buried in here yes. that doesn't get any representation. That's the key. And and I bring it up to make more so, less the point about the what he's saying and more the point about the connection between what Perrin is saying yes. and between what the wolves are doing. Yes. Right? Yep. Like, it's... It's a natural kind of like association between the two things. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this moment where the wolves, he's like seeing things from the wolves perspective and they take down a Murdral by themselves and only one of the pack survives. Mm -hmm. And she's like howling to, you know, warn her dead. And so he howls too. And then he like comes out of it. It comes out of it. And everybody's like, uh, Baron, are you like, you cool? Like what's going on? And he, like, has a hissy fit about having been a wolf, basically. Right. He just, like, I did. I will appreciate that he was, like, we're not going to, like, pelt these wolves. We're going to bury them with our dead because they fought with us. Yeah. But then it's, like. like, Yeah, and there's this, this, like, this moment on page 81 where he's, like, oh, I can't. I almost didn't come back. Like, the temptation to, like, think, like, just basically become a wolf is too strong. Like, I can't let it happen again. I will never will. But but then he's, like, thinking about how, like, 
he just that you know he's a self-conscious person he's always trying to make other people feel comfortable around him because he knows he's intimidating and like the way that he thinks so carefully leads people to treat him like he's not smart and like he's just like uh the wolves like get me they get me i don't have to worry about any of that when i'm communicating with them and I'm just like, ugh, parent, buddy, like, go with that. Like, that's yeah. that's where you need to be. Because the thing is, is, like, this is another one of those things. I'm like, how far in advance was this planned? Because to have Elias never, Elias, Elias? Oh, whatever. Whatever. Um, Elias not really reference it that intensely when he realized what parent was. Like, this seems like a pretty big note that you could yeah. completely lose yourself if you don't learn how to do it properly you know right right but yeah and 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 you know parent thinks about that he's like oh he he ran with wolves all the time and like always seems to remember that he's a man but you know i haven't seen him in a while so i can't ask him so and this will come back later uh but yes so then they're recovering from the battle and you know Karen has to have wounded. a conversation with rand well yeah so right so rand is like has not been, they're like, where the fuck is Rand? So Perrin goes to find him and he is off by himself and he is like sort of freaking out that he couldn't help. Yeah, he is freaking out that he couldn't help. He is like, Perrin, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's frustrating because I know that what Jordan is doing here is building Rand's, building Rand to the point that he can make the decision that he makes. Yeah. But he does it by way of just Rand sitting there complaining and Perrin listening twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Twice in the first five chapters. <laughs> Two times. Two times in the first five chapters. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. Like, I wish there could have been, like, do it in the heat of the battle. Like, do yeah. it in a moment where it's not just kind of the same scene all over mm-hmm. again, right? No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And then this was interesting to me. So Perrin... Rand's wound has broken over that yeah. he got during the the battle on Falme. And uh, Moiraine is trying to fix it. And Rand says this quote from the prophecies of the dragon. And this cracked me up. Moiraine on page 85. Who told you that? And yeah. he's just like, she's like having a fit that he I know. knows. That it's like, you told, you told, you are the one who told right? him. That he's the dragon reborn. You don't think he's gonna look that shit up? Like what? Like the it was fuck? such so wild. Like these chapters also do a little bit of a disservice yeah. to Moiraine. Yeah, I think in a way that it's not like making her look nuanced. It's making her look a little petty and like yeah, in a way that I did not like love, super right? controlling and yeah, very, which we know that she is trying to steer everything in a certain direction. Sure. We, she, we know that she withholds information. To try to like ensure that the thing that she wants to happen is yeah. happening, like we know all of that. Yeah. But yeah, the the way that that comes across in this section is ungood. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like really flat. It's a very yeah. flat example of it. And you kind of like you know Rand is here like sort of falling apart after Moiraine heals him, and he's like, if you could get me to Shia Gul now. We could just end it. Like, no more dreams, no more. And you can kind of see him, like, just yeah. he's tired. He's uncomfortable. He's not okay with it, right? Yeah. Oh. So then in the next section, chapter six, something actually does happen. Rand leaves. 
Perrin Rand, wakes well, up. So <laughs> I love this moment at the end of chapter five where Rand's like, I'm not to be trusted. Lewis there and Kinslayer killed everyone close to him. Maybe I'll do the same before I'm done. And Lan is like, bro. Yeah. Pull your shit together. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Yeah, I did love that. And because Perrin is surprised that like Rand is like, you're right. <laughs> okay, to fine. Together. You're right. I do. Ha- I have to do it because I have to do it, which I right. appreciate. Right. Yes. Like I, I do like that moment. Ugh. The Rand land relationship continues to be a favorite of mine. I know. I do it's like so it. Good. It's I so do good. like it. Yeah. So then, yes. So then <laughs> Perrin wakes up the next morning and Rand is gone. He has like disappeared in the night. And Masima is like freaking oh, out. Such a strange. So awkward and weird. So awkward and weird. I and- was wondering if the point of that character's sort of personality switch in this is 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 like is Robert Jordan like commenting basically on all kinds of zealotry like is he meant to like balance out the white cloaks it's like oh it can happen on any side and it's never a good thing like is that what we're supposed to be getting from this I don't know like I don't know right like or is it just Masima is not an allegory for anything and just meant to show like the impact Rand is having. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. Because that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Yeah. No, I, I'll, that's legit. So, so yeah. Th- then he goes to talk to Moiraine. They have this whole conversation about like, Rand left. Nobody knows why. And Moiraine is like, I didn't do it, but I'm pretty pissed off about it. And we need to find him because he could die. And Perrin keeps like poking her and Loyal's like, Perrin, shut up. I like, know. With Moiraine. <laughs> he keeps like spouting these little like proverbs about why you should never anger an Aes Sedai. Oh, so and Perrin's true. like, no, okay, but really, Moiraine, like what the hell are you doing? So um, and then we get our own first kind of moment of a Rand. Not it's not a POV, but we get a note written in Rand's hand, which is the first perspective we've gotten of Rand since the, this book started. And it's it's pretty bananas. It's pretty dark, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's like he's hunting me again. This time, one of us has to die. There's no need for me, those around me, to die. Too many have died already. I don't want to die. Will not if I can manage it. There are lies and dreams and death, but dreams hold truth too. And it got that particular note got me thinking that perhaps why we're not getting a Rand POV is because that truly would be too repetitive. Like it's a good point, right? We've had two books of him now in this same frame of mind as we got close, like in the Great Hunt, as we got like further and further along. And we've seen this notion of like either he or I has to go, and we've now watched him battle him twice. And so, like, how much more can we get from his perspective when there's no plot happening? Yeah. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And then we get this interesting bit about how everyone has dreamed about Kalendor. Like, it's not yes. just Perrin. And and Moiraine says this thing about how people who are strong in the one power can sometimes force their dreams on others. And, like, Land goes around asking and it turns out, like, everybody has been dreaming. Well, okay, wait. Two things that I want to point out before we get get there is one rand only brought like his clothes his flute and the horse which (laughs) made me laugh very hard (laughs) um and second is that moiraine is talking about which of the forsaken might be out 
Yeah, true. And, you know, she says, like, Lanfear, Samael, Asmodian, whatever. And, you know, I will not let them have him. But I, then I was like, did Min not tell Moiraine about the beautiful woman who showed up? Oh. Because I feel like if Min told that story, Moiraine would be like, that has to be Lanfear. <laughs> That's a good point. It's right? a good point. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but okay, so then the dream stuff happens. Yeah, so then they figure out that everybody's been dreaming Rand's dream about the sword. Which then we know Perrin was not meant to be in that dream. And well, that part of that, that part dream, of the dream. Right? Um, we don't know about the other parts of it. But that part of the dream, Perrin was not meant to be there. Yeah, and then uh, they've they've found Rand's trail, and he's headed in the direction that would make sense if he was going to find the sword in, is it Tyr or Ilion? I can never remember. In Tyr. Yeah. In the Stone of Tyr. Right. Right. So, uh, so then, like, finally something's going to happen. But so Moiraine is like, Min, you need to go to Tarvalin and mm-hmm. give the Amaralyn Seat a... Um, a message from me because no one else can do it. And Min, of course, is super pissed off. She's like, I need to save Rand. I love him. And you're like, do you? You've said like four (laughs) sentences to him, but okay. Um, And Perrin and Loyal, she asks, will you come with me to find Rand? Because the Shanairans aren't in shape to move. And so they have to stay behind. And so we're getting another small party adventure, basically. Yep, yep. Yeah, and uh, I think that we actually do get a little bit of, like, development on the Min front because Perrin and Min have this, like, extremely awkward interaction at the end of of chapter six where Perrin has, like, this mistaken impression that Min is, like, likes him and he's like, "Uh, like, I like you like a sister and Min's like, oh, I love you. Like Like a a brother, brother. you idiot. But I'm surprised you passed over Min teasing Lan about Nanave. Oh, it's true. That did happen. (laughs) Where, like, she's like, you want me to uh, tell Nadeev anything? (laughs) And he's like, does everybody know? (laughs) That was a good moment. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) That feels much more earned. um, Yes. Because then Min and Perrin have this conversation, which starts, though, with her telling him these new things she's seen around him. Right. That's true. That's true. Which is an ailment in a cage, a tuathan. Tuathan with a sword, a falcon and a hawk perched on your shoulders, both female, and all the rest, of course. What is always there, darkness swirling around you. And he's like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and we're done. We're done here. Um, so these are all things I think that we are gonna going to be paying attention for. Right. Oh, and she watch. warns him, if you meet a woman, the most beautiful woman you've ever seen, run. Yeah. And Perrin's like, tell me more about this beautiful woman. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then they have that very, very kind of awkward conversation and I don't I don't think this is development though like this whole paragraph she says when when Perrin is like oh oh you like you like love Rand right right and she's like I told him didn't I Rand I did a viewing of you and it seems I have to fall in love with you I have to share you too and I don't much like that but there it is you're a wooden-headed wonder after all Perrin Ibarra if I could be with him, I know I could help somehow. Light, if he dies, I don't know if I can stand it. And it just feels so like, Min, we need you to exist because we need you to be in love with Rand so you can say this sentence in this moment. I mean, you're not wrong. It's fair. It's a fair criticism. Uh, but I also think it's the very first time that Min has said out loud that she, her viewing has showed her that she has to follow. Yeah. Like, it's the first time she's. it's actually been 
explicitly stated. Yeah, she's acknowledged it internally. Hints, but like we've never actually had the full acknowledgement. So yeah, I mean, I think this is like two books too late, but like at least we got it. Finally, we got it. Yeah, could have seated that earlier. Oh yeah, way. All right, then it takes them a very long time (laughs) to get out of the mountain. We get a little, we get a oh, note. wait, I have, okay, sorry, you go ahead, and then I have a thing I want to rant about. Okay, well, I was going to say, is it the the Mirel stuff? Yes! Yeah, that's what, what I was going to bring up. Because, like, again, there's this, like, snide little joke. Again, this is, like, back to, like, the way Moiraine is being portrayed in these chapters, which is yeah. very weird. And this, like, snide little joke that's not a joke of, like, don't worry, I'm going to package you off to a green sister. And you're like, ew. Yeah. The power dynamic, the way that she's tweaking that power dynamic is terrible. It's so gross. It's so gross. And then they're, like, camping and fishing. And Perrin is mad because Moiraine is tricking them into doing more work. <laughs> oh, my and God. Like, that, my, I literally have a note about this, about, like, chore fighting. Like, this is – how is this the thing that we're on in this book? Like, <laughs> what? Who cares? What yeah. what am I learning from this? That you want me to think Moiraine is petty after like two full books of being yeah, like, and that she thinks she's too good to like get her hands dirty by skinning a fish. True, which, which we know is not how Moiraine operates. So it's either like okay, so we know that's not true. So then it's like she's just doing this to put Perrin in his place, which also doesn't make a no. ton of sense given what we know of Moiraine. Like it just is a or weird. Or is like Perrin a grossly actually unreliable narrator? Like narrator who's actually an asshole and we don't know it like that I don't like that either no (laughs) those but those are the options yeah they're terrible options so then they finally get to this village on the border of Amadicia in chapter eight called Jara I want to point out the the wolves have been kind of protecting them true Perrin is being very non-gratitude filled yeah, he is being a jerk. He's being a jerk. He's being but, a stupid jerk. Yeah, then they get to Jara, which I maintain would have been vastly more interesting, again, through the eyes of Rand in this moment. I have to agree. That's such a good call because what we find out is that, like, they... Rand has passed through and the thing that was like that happened in Jara is that everybody who was unmarried got married like they just had like wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding they also had some white cloaks come through behaving very strangely and we find that out that this is yet another effect of Taverin Mm -hmm. on other people that like they can manipulate the people around them entirely unwittingly like obviously rand wasn't like i know what would be great is if everybody got married right it's such a random thing uh and it's so interesting to me to think of Taverin as like it's not just about you know the fate of the world has to go in this one direction and the Taverin are as bound by it as anybody else in fact more bound like they Mm -hmm. have less options because the pattern is weaving them in this specific way but also there turns out they're agents of chaos right like are gonna potentially cause like weddings which is amazing like this notion of like and you know being like rand is the strongest taverin of all time even archer hawkwing wasn't as strong a taverin right 
Right. So you don't know what kind of chaos he's going to breed is like so much more exciting. So much more interesting. Than like them coming into this thing and like the most, obviously the most interesting part of this, which is actually, I also think one of the more weaker moments of the story is finding out that this guy, Simeon, realizes that um, Moiraine is Aes Sedai and Mm -hmm. wants her to come like see uh, his brother or whatever. But I want to point out before that, how this was just like Barrelon all over again, where I was like, parents, shut the fuck up. Like, what are you doing? All you have to do is stop. Have you not learned? It's I know. been a long time when Moiraine clearly doesn't want you to ask something. Don't ask it, idiot. Yeah. Like, it's so irritating. I do appreciate, though, that we find out that Rand played the flute for all the weddings. Yes. <laughs> no, it's very nice. <laughs> But you're right. He's being an idiot. He like he she keeps telling him, like, shut up. Like, stop asking questions about Rand, because the last thing we want to do is draw attention to him. Like, like, why would you want him to stand out in people's heads? I feel like this is like a moment of this is a weak thread in that there's this fixation. And I I understand that there is a lot of lore behind this notion of like Aes Sedai cannot be trusted, blah, 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 blah. They are the reason. But we have two books telling us otherwise in terms of like Moiraine as a character is a strong character who doesn't always make the right call, but makes the call she thinks is best in terms of saving the world. Right. Right? Like it is not her fault what's happening to Perrin. It no. is not her fault that the Dark One is around. And yet this constant blame puts them in the position of not learning the lessons they need to learn. But it yeah. makes them look stupid, not... Right. Not anything else. And so yeah. part of me is like, did Jordan realize that he didn't make Moiraine unlikable enough? And that's why he's mm. putting some of this pettiness in there and some like kind of what feels like very out of character reactions. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know, but it's not working. Because well, let's remember point, that he has done this to us before with Nynaeve in the White Tower. Right? Yeah. We're on the ship to Tardell. And it is and, like, like weak writing. Yeah. Because it doesn't. Thing- it doesn't pay off in any sort of way Mm -hmm. except that he needs the characters to act a certain way right and so this other character is going to do something that doesn't make sense right right because like he needed Perrin to be mad enough to not listen and so he needed Moiraine to act like an asshole while they're camping and you're like that doesn't make sense right and so yeah so Simeon tells Perrin that he is like realizes that Moiraine is Aes Sedai and like you were saying once help for his brother who's he says he's sick um but what actually it turns out is happening is that his brother is also a wolf friend and has like like succumbed to the wolf yeah he's like lost his ability to be uh in human society and it's like biting cows with his teeth and like freaking people out and they have him literally locked in a cage in a shed and And this again is just a little like yeah this is so on the nose. It's like so it's on the nose. Really it's like, blatant. It's like we get it. Perrin is afraid. We get it. Like it's like what it feels like is like Jordan was like Perrin needs to act a certain way. And so everything is going to conveniently put him in the position of acting a certain way. And we're not going to get there naturally. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's frustrating. And it takes way too long. <laughs> and it takes way too long. I like I was like this. This episode's going to be so short. 
Nope. It's just full of us yelling about it. Like, sorry, I know. We complained a lot. This is like that one section of The Great Hunt where we're like, this sucks. <laughs> but anyway, we do get this whole thing. It's a, a kind of actually a, a sort of nice moment at the end where Perrin convinces Simeon, like, you can't keep your brother in a cage. Yeah. Like, it's 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 inhumane. You like, should you let, let him go. go. And 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 the whole the whole section ends with uh Simeon being like, You're a good oh no, Perrin saying that you're a good man to Simeon. And like it's just it like he has this shame that like he had these really dismissive thoughts of this guy mm-hmm. uh, when they first got there because you know he was behaving X, Y, and Z ways and he kind of looks like a frog and like yeah. oh like look this person is actually a human and I've been a, j- I've no, been a that jerk. Was, that was like, nice. But maybe nice recognize that you're being a jerk to the wolves. Well yeah. So he's got a lot of, you know, listening so and looking angst. around to do. There's a lot it's of like ang- so it's much angst. It's true. We do it's realize true. there is also one more last important thing is that now Perrin knows that the dark the, the white cloaks are also looking for him actively oh, yes. as a yeah. dark friend. Right. Right. Because they were looking for Gnome because of the golden eyes and the yeah. whatever. So yeah, it's a whole thing. I just how many more Perrin POVs are there? Because I can't I, I don't can't believe know. we're on book three and we haven't had a Matt POV. It like is that shocking. is bananas to me. He yeah. is like how when I was fifteen was I like Matt's my favorite when I didn't see a Matt POV for like books That's and books good and question. books. Well, I have good news for you. At least chapter ten is a Gween. I'm Thank peeking God. ahead now. So we're gonna we have one more chapter of Perrin and then we have some other chapters. Uh. So it looks like oh yeah, we're gonna okay. We're coming to a lot of good P- or potentially good POVs anyway. Looking so. forward to it, because this was rough <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it was not I mean, I, I I take issue with the writing. I didn't I don't care about being in Perrin's POV necessarily, but it was not done well, that's for sure. That's the problem, is like don't make I I don't mind Perrin. Like I liked, liked Perrin, <laughs> <laughs> and this like took him down a few notches. I gotta yeah. say, like he was fine. His perspectives were fine, and then this was just like slogging through. Like <laughs> it's not great. It's not someone's great. like meandering diary. I would be yeah. like, bro. <laughs> well. This has been chapters one through eight of the Dragon Reborn. (laughs) Next time, (laughs) we're going to talk about chapters nine through, is it 16? 16, right? Nine through 16, uh, where we will have more POVs and hopefully less angst and less character assassinations. (laughs) Stay tuned. Fingers crossed. Uh, Keep an eye out for future episodes every other Wednesday. And when the episodes do come out, we hashtag them Tarvalon or Bust when we post about them on social media. So if you want to be part of the conversation, that is where you can do it. And speaking of being part of the conversation, we have a Patreon and we have so many lovely supporters who we would like to thank. Two new ones, David Yu and Amy R. Welcome, welcome. And then, of course, our longstanding supporters, Maradim, Mimi K, Amanda, Mark D, Heather J, Christina M, Malia H, Keith, Sarish G, Olivia K, Joshua S, Nicholas E, Michelle S, and Michelle D, Danae, Destination Toast, Kat S, Jericho W, Saber Bouquet, Thomas K, Elizabeth F, 
Emily, Evans K, Ola J, Yulia S, and Brian D. And if you would like to become a supporter, it's just a dollar a month because we're just over here trying to cover server costs. You can do that at patreon.com slash or bust. And a big thank you to Brian Dunn, fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician who created the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. You can find more of his work at briandunnmusic.net. That's Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. And if you are enjoying the show, please do leave a review or a rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We might read it at the top of the show. Because it makes us happy. <laughs> it makes us so happy. It certainly will make our day. It also helps other folks to find the show. So we super appreciate it. And in between shows, you can find us other places. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's IRL. I also podcast for Book Riot on the SFF Yeah Show and the Get Booked Show. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and TikTok at Run with Skizzers. That's S K I Z Z E R S. You can also find me on the other podcast, They See Geek Girls, with my co host, Sapna Krishna. Um, and you can, I have a bunch of books that are available for sale, which you can find on my website, preetychipper.com. And yes, this episode is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the Wheel of Time, but it is an ending. Bye!